We're a blessed people, aren't we? And among the greatest treasures of our life are relationships. Relationships. Relationships in our family. Relationships with friends, colleagues. Relationship, astoundingly, with God himself. (laughs) What treasures, what a beautiful thing to think about the people in our lives and the God in our life that we can talk to and visit with and listen to and just put our arms around and love and appreciate. What a privilege. And to be loved and to be appreciated once in a while. You know, relationships. But like many treasured things, relationships have to be maintained. We have to work at them, don't we? I mean, they don't just happen. Even in families where we're together, we have to work at building strength into relationships. And sometimes we have to fix them. They get broken. We offend one another. We sin against one another. We offend God. We sin against God. We fail. We fall. But the beautiful thing about reality, about relationships, and as God has instructed us, and we can repair these broken relationships. Broken relationships with one another and broken relationships with God. The scriptures teach us a lot about how to do that. They give us very specific instructions about how to maintain relationships, how to build strength into relationships, how to fix them when they get broken. But they also, scriptures also give us models. They give us illustrations. And one of the greatest illustrations of how to pick ourselves up after we fall down is this man, David. We talk about David a lot. He's one of my heroes. You may have uh, picked up on that. And and David did many, many things right, and David did this thing wrong. David messed it up sometimes. But David knew how to fix it. And so long after David was gone from the earth, he was still held by God as the gold standard, as someone who knew how to do it right. And even though many times he broke God's law, sometimes even to committing sins that were worthy of death, that had the death sentence upon them. David still said, many, many years after David's death, if you follow me as David did, and do not turn to the left or to the right, but follow my law with your whole heart, I will bless you. He said that over and over to kings as they came on the throne, and God wanted them to follow him the way David followed him. How could it be that a man who failed so sadly, so tragically, and so often, (laughs) could have a legacy that the model for following me is this man David, this man who committed murder, this man who deceived others, this man who committed adultery, How could he so violate God's law and still yet be known years after his death as a man who followed God's law with his whole heart? Well, David knew how to fall down. He turned that into an art form. (laughs) Like some of us. But David also 
turned restoration into an art form. And I'd like to look at three of David's psalms this morning where David dealt with sin. I don't believe all three of these psalms relate to the same sin, uh, but they all three, by combining them, they give us some terrific instruction about what we should do when we fail. David achieved more than most, but David also blew it up periodically, and he knew how to fix it when he broke it. And the first thing we read about David, we say in Psalm 32, that when David sinned, his sin bothered him. It tortured him. David said this about his sin. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, Lord, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Lord, when I offended you, it destroyed me. The first thing we see is David had a sense of the gravity of sin. He was tortured by it. And I think until we get a sense of what sin does, we will never deal with it properly. Isaiah said, your sins have separated between you and your God, and your iniquities have turned his face from you so that he will not hear you. To be separated from God because of sin in my life, to be separated from a friend or from a family member because we have offended them, because we've hurt them, should be torture, should break our heart. I've been there. You've been there. Where you just can't look the person in the eye. You just can't sit down and have dinner. We've got to deal with this. The elephant in the room stinks. And I can't sit here and eat a meal with that smell on our table. Until we grieve over broken relationships... Until our heart is broken over sin, we will never deal with it. And so the first thing David teaches us about sin is that we have to understand its destructive, terrible nature. And as we read David's Psalms, we see what a great passion he had for God. And it was his passion, his love, his dedication to God that made sin so grievous to him. So it it begins not by saying, oh yeah, I'm going to be sorry the next time I sin. I'm not going to be sorry the next time I offend a friend. No, it begins with saying, Lord, give me a heart that loves you. As Paul prayed for the Ephesians, I pray that your love will overflow more and more with great abundance so that fractured relationships torture us and we have to deal with them, whether it's with God or with one another. And so David had to deal with his sin. And what he did is he confessed it. David said, again, Psalm 32, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I come and say, Lord, I blew it. I screwed up. I messed up. 
I come and say it to my friend or my spouse or my child. I'm sorry, man, I blew it. I own it. No excuses, no explanations. No, hey, I'm sorry. No, man, I blew it. I, I, I. And, and as we read one of David's actual confessions, Psalm 51, this is after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Listen to what he said. Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out, <clears throat> blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Against you, you only have I sinned. You get it? No excuses, no explanation. Well, you know, I grew up in a tough home. I had a bad childhood. No, God, I blew it. I screwed up. I confess. I sinned. I did a terrible thing. I offended you. I'm admitting it. I'm asking you for forgiveness and asking you for restoration. Later in Psalm 51, let me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquity. Deliver me from guilt. Oh, will you please forgive me? Can we put this behind us? Can we go on? I admit it. I confess it. I ask you to forgive me. Because it hurts. Because my bones are wasting away. My heart is groaning because of this fractured relationship. Please, oh God, forgive me. Please, my friend, forgive me. I sinned against you. And David's confession, as we pause and think about it, teaches us crucial things about maintaining our relationship with God and with one another. Listen to what he said here in Psalm 51, this great prayer of confession. He said, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So he said, I know you've made allowance. I know you have allowed us to bring a sacrifice and to atone for our sin, and, and I get that. But Lord, don't, I don't want to go down to the temple and, and throw a, a lamb on the fire and say, well, that's taken care of. That's not what you want, Lord. You don't want some flippant, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, well, Lord, you know, I blew it again. You know me, I just can't get over that habit. And, you know, I swear at people in traffic and, you know, it's okay, Lord. No, it's not okay. Lord, you know, you know confession, thank God for confession. Thank God in the Old Testament they had this means of offering sacrifices and, 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 and being able to to, in a sense, pay for their sin. And thank God that our sins are paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And all we need to do, we don't bring a lamb to church. We confess our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But woe be to those who just say, well, I, you know, I confessed it. No, David said, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. It is a broken and contrite heart. That, 
Oh, God, is what you will not despise. Now, this, I'm warning, I'm talking about it, because I, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm here with you, folks. God has made it almost too easy that Jesus has paid all the price, and we can come and confess. And there's a danger, at least I have a danger, of just flippantly confessing. Saul, King Saul, disobeyed God, specific instructions that Samuel had given him. And when he came back and Samuel said, Saul, you have disobeyed God. And Saul said, well, that's all right. I got sacrifices. <laughs> I'm going to go make some sacrifices. Kind of flippantly. Yeah, I, I know the law of Moses. I'll just make some sacrifices. Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. God appreciates he interacts with our confession and he forgives us. But far more, he delights in our obedience. In that moment of decision, in that moment of choice, and say, well, yeah, I, I can commit that sin because God will forgive me. To say God delights in obedience. God tolerates confession. He delights in obedience. Israel fell into that pattern, into that trap of making sacrifices and committing the sin, making the sacrifices and committing the sin. And dear old Amos, I love Amos. He was a farmer. He was a guy who lived on the earth. He was a gutsy kind of a guy. He was a prophet, sheep herder from Tekoa. And he's quoting God. He's saying, this is what God says to you, Israel, about your, obe about your disobedience to sacrifice. He said, I hate I despise your religious festival. Your assemblies are a stench in my nostrils. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your lips. In contemporary language, Amos would say, you show up here on Sunday morning, you sing the hymns, oh, how I love Jesus. And you've got sin in your life. And you haven't dealt with disobedience to God. God says, you phony balonies. You think I'm listening to that? It turns my stomach. It's a stench in my nostrils. And you say, wait a minute. God commanded all these offerings and all these things. God commanded. Yeah. Yeah, as a response of love and obedience. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen <clears throat> to the music of your hearts, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Amos quoted Martin Luther King Jr. here. Or maybe it's the other way around. He said, I want obedience. I want you to live this stuff. You will fail. You will fail. And I've made accommodation for that. But don't let the accommodation, don't let the sacrifice and the confession give you an easy way out. Isaiah went a little further. He said essentially the same thing Amos said, only in very glowing Isaiah-type language. But he said, when you spread out your hands in prayer, this is Isaiah 1, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. 
Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Furthermore, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So yes, I want you to stop sinning, but I want you to aggressively be pursuing the right. Don't only confess that you did the wrong, also confess when you don't do the right. Live for me. Live this stuff. And in your greatest effort, in your highest holiness, you will fail. So I have made accommodation. Confess your sin. I will be faithful and just to forgive your sin. But don't take advantage of me, God said, because I don't like it. Don't come in here and pray your prayers and sing your songs with your heart full of evil. I'll turn my back. Your sins have separated between you and your God, and your iniquities have turned his face from you that he will not even listen to you until you genuinely, like David, say, I have sinned. And my bones are wasting away with the fever heat of summer. I am tortured by my sin. Lord, please hear my confession. My dear wife, my dear husband, my dear friend, my dear kid. I offended you. I hurt you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you restore this relationship? I commit to God to do better. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, let me read something from 1 Corinthians. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. God takes this stuff pretty seriously. He's not pleased with unrepentant, casual confession. Our view of sin shapes our view of confession, which shapes our view of restoration. It was Bonhoeffer who talked about cheap grace. People who just throw their lamb on the altar and then go sin again. Or the person who says, oh God, I'm sorry. Yeah, I get it. I, I sinned. Please forgive me, but <laughs> you know me. No, no, no. The third reality is that David knew that God had forgiven him and restored him. And he responded with worship and a commitment to grow forward, to strengthen himself 
so that he would not sin again. He said, Lord, I dragged myself, or you dragged me through that horrible convicting moment, that time, that gap between the time when I sinned and the time I confessed was a horrible time. Give me strength so that I don't go back there. David expressed his confidence in God's forgiveness. Psalm 32, 5, just that very simple statement. And you, I confess my sin to you, and you forgave my sin. You forgave my sin. Psalm 40 elaborates on that. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. And that word turn, he extended, he bent down, he put his ear down to me. He extended himself and heard my cry. And he lifted me out of the slimy pit. He pulled me up out of the muck and the mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a new song and a firm place to stand. Yes, I blew it. I was tortured by it. I poured my heart out to God and confessed my sin. I asked him to restore me. He bent down. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of that slimy pit, which is how David saw sin. That slimy pit, that muck in the mire. And he put my feet on a solid rock. Have you experienced that? I have. I have. And I'm suspecting almost everyone in here has. And so he responded three times, three different ways David responded to this gracious forgiveness. First with effusive worship. Psalm 40, verses 3 and five. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. I went from the fever heat of summer, my bones wasting away, agony over my sin, to having a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Lord, I so appreciate forgiveness. I so appreciate that after sinning against you, I can come to you and I can confess and I can look you in the eye. Say thank you. You love me that much. You care for me that much. You bought this privilege with the blood of your own son. Don't let me abuse it. I worship you, oh God, for this terrific, beautiful privilege. The second response David had was one of his unreserved dedication. He gave great worship. <clears throat> he thanked God. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, listen to this. This is from Psalm 40 now. Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. <clears throat> 
It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my dear God. Your law is written within my heart. Now, you may not have noticed, I had to compare the two prayers. The prayer in Psalm 51, David said, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. This is what he's confessing. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And then after the fact, after David had been restored, after he had confessed, he repeats those same things. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Past tense. But my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. I desire to do your will. Your law is within my heart. Lord, I commit to growing forward. Let me, never let me lose the good of a bad experience. I blew it. I sinned. But I learned from it. I see how vulnerable I am. I see how dangerous I am to myself. Lord, do not limit me to my own resources. I can't live this life you have asked me to live. You have said unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. You have said be holy as I am holy. I can't do that. So, oh Lord, my sacrifice is me. It's my heart. That's what you want? My sacrifice is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God. That's my sacrifice. It's me. <laughs> Take me. Own me. Be my Lord. Be my guide. Be my strength. I can't do this by myself. I need you. I want to grow. I want to grow. And let this failure, this sin, be part of the process of my growth. Because I need you. And I give you unreserved dedication. And the third response is with a passionate desire to help others. <laughs> David said, you know, I was in that slimy pit, that muck and that mire. And I confessed my sin to God, and he lifted me out. He put a, my feet on a rock and put a new song in my mouth. And I worship, and I pray for strength. And that works in my relationship with God, and I learned from that about my relationships with other people. Same process. I don't worship them, but I appreciate them, and I love them, and I thank them for it. For forgiveness. So with God and with others. And I want to share this. David said, other people need to know this. And so he said in Psalm 40, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Others will see what God has done for me and, and say, I need that. I want that. How did that work for you? What happened to you? You were so miserable yesterday. And today you're praising God. What happened? 
David said, I want to share that. I want other people to know. David said, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips. Lord, as you know, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. When we confront the reality of sin and see it as that slimy pit, as that muck and the mire, that stuff that ruins life, ruins a relationship with God, ruins relationships with other people. We see how devastating and, and foul and, and destructive it is. We say, God, don't let me climb into that slime pit. But when I do, thank you that you incline your ear and you lift me out. And I can worship you. And I can commit to a better life. And you help me get that better life. Lord, everyone needs to know this. And you've commissioned us, your church, to be your witnesses. To make disciples. To help people out there who don't have this beautiful truth. That there is forgiveness and restoration. People who live with fractured relationships and they don't know what to do with them. People who don't even have a relationship with God. And one of the great sins of the church is our silence. The people are killing themselves. Literally and figuratively. Because they don't know what we just talked about this morning. How to have a personal relationship with God. How to fix it when it's broken. How to have better relationships in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our churches, in our families. We are God's messengers of this beautiful truth. So first, let us apply it to our relationship with God. Let us apply it to our relationship with each other. And let us proclaim it to a lost and dying world.